Welcome to the Pain Points of Wealth, the podcast that addresses the pain points that come with creating, growing, and sustaining your wealth, giving you a multi-generational perspective from three pains in a pod, Bob Payne, the boomer, Chris Payne, the millennial, and Ryan Payne, the generation somewhere in between. All right, welcome to the inaugural episode of Pain Points of Wealth. This is the podcast where we're going to address the pain points that come with creating your wealth, growing your wealth, and sustaining your wealth. And to give you the multi-generational perspective, we've got three pains in a pod. We've got my dad, Bob Payne, the boomer, my brother, Chris Payne, the millennial, and me, Ryan Payne, somewhere in between, maybe Generation X, but I'm not quite sure. And guys, you know, there's a lot going on today with big tech just going through the roof every single day. We got the dollar falling, and it just seems like the pandemic hasn't gotten that much better, but the market keeps going higher and higher. So, you know, what's your perspective right now, and what do you think people should be doing with their money? Well, first, let's talk a little bit about tech, guys. I'm glad we own it, but it is getting a little uncomfortable here at these levels. You know, I'm starting to get a nosebleed. I see the blood dripping, Bob. I agree, Dad. And, you know, ever since I was a kid, you always taught Ryan and I that it's always the best to buy things when they're low and trim off profits when they're high, not buy high and sell low. So just on, on that basis, I think at this point, probably isn't a whole lot of room for this stuff to really run. Well, to play devil's advocate there, guys, I mean, let's be honest, like these stocks are doing awesome because they killed it, right? We were in the middle of a pandemic. Amazon literally doubled their revenue this quarter. It just seems like they're unstoppable here. I think I'm going to buy everything from Amazon over the next year. I don't care what it is. You know, everything from groceries to buying that new velour sweater that I wanted. Well, you guys know a lot of my clients are older, and I actually had some 70 plus and 80 plus year olds who'd never, ever bought anything online before. And they found out how easy it is. And they're like, yeah, this is great. You know, we get a box in front of the door every day. So I think what's interesting is that when we had this pandemic and everybody was stuck at home, they really discovered that you can do everything digital today. You don't have to be analog. You don't have to go to the mall. And perhaps, you know, we just had like 10 years of growth just jammed into three months. And so at that point, you know, maybe we might see a little bit of this growth starting to slow down, even if the earnings and the numbers are good. Well, what's crazy about it, it's almost like what market share is left. If you look at Facebook now and you look at their Facebook platform, they own Instagram, WhatsApp, they have Facebook Messenger. That's literally 3 billion people. That's 40% of the Earth's population right now that uses their service. Well, hey, Chris, let me take the bull case of this. So they've gotten 40%. They got 60% of the planet left to market to. So that sounds like a pretty good runway to me. Are you a Facebook user, Chris? Yes, I am. So guys, to take the bullish side of it, you know, if I'm a Facebook holder, which we are in our index, we don't buy the individual stock, but if I have Facebook right now, I'm thinking, yeah, they got 40% of the Earth's population as clients, but they got 60% of the world left. That's a pretty big market. It's a pretty big market, except for I think some places in the world that don't have the internet. And also, we always forget about creative destruction, right? I don't know where that next great idea is going to come from. But TikTok's a great example of that, right? I mean, they've taken a huge market share from Instagram, or at least they're sharing those eyeballs now. So we don't know the other services that could come into play here. I mean, it gets even crazier than that. When you look at just like the global ad spend, I mean, literally Facebook and Google have already two thirds of that. At these growth rates, they're going to have more than 100% over the next couple of years. Is that even possible? 
They have to go to Mars to pitch, I don't know, like a whole different species to start advertising to them. Well, I think at some point there's going to be competition. It doesn't seem like anybody can compete with these mammoth companies, but I guess that's going to come. But it was kind of points out to me when I look at this Robinhood, you know, this site, this retail trading platform where all the millennials are opening accounts, which I think is great, by the way. I think it's great the millennials are getting involved in investing. But what really scares me is they own three stocks. You guys want to guess what three stocks they're buying? Apple, Microsoft, and Amazon. Man, you nailed it, Chris. So you got all the millennials who are probably not doing kind of due diligence that we do here at Payne Capital Management. They probably haven't even read a research report of these companies. I think the sole reason that they're buying them is because they're going up. Yeah, Dan, I have to agree. And I remember probably 15, 20 years ago, you told me to pick two stocks in my portfolio before I knew anything about what we were doing. And I picked Microsoft and AMD, and they didn't do anything for several years, and I ended up selling them. Boy, I really wish I would have hung on to them, but it just goes to show you, I just liked them because they were popular. Yeah, but you bought up at the time, Chris, where the PE ratios were really high, and the companies actually did grow into those PE ratios, but the price of the stock didn't change. So sometimes the market's right, but it's like 10 years early. And so to me, that's not really what investing is about. So I think everybody really ought to be careful here. But you know what doesn't really jive with me, Rye, is they get the sentiment indicator showing that most people are bearish, but I have a bone of contention with that. You have a bone of contention. Well, I mean, that's the reality of it. If you look at the average investor right now, their negativity is as high as it was back in 2016. Funny enough, an election year right before the election or a couple months before the election. And we're seeing the same dynamic play out right now because as much as you're hearing about the bullishness, and I think there is a lot of money out there. I mean, we've all got these stimulus checks. If you look at that $600 people are getting a week, there's a lot of money out there to buy things. And I think a lot of money is going into Facebook, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, et cetera, et cetera. But I also think there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of money on the sidelines because a lot of people right now think that the market's going to come crashing down again. I think there's this viewpoint to what's going to happen with the market next. Hey, Ry, I hear you. I see the sentiment indicators coming from the AAII Investment Center Survey. But same token, you got millennials, you know, like kids in a candy store. They're making big bets and they're making 20, 30 times on their money thinking this is better than the casino. So I think it's a tale of demographics. What do you guys think? I think you think millennials are still like 20, Bob. I think most millennials, the older millennials now are in their late 30s. I actually think it's a difference between the haves and have nots. If you got a little bit of money in your pocket, maybe you're a younger millennial or generation Z, you're enamored with the stock market right now. It's like a big casino. You know, go in there, let's buy Xerox, let's bid that one up, Hertz rent a car, and yes, buy the big tech stocks. But I think anyone who has money here, whether you're an older millennial going into generation X or going into the baby boomers, and you have a lot of money you can afford to lose here in the markets, you're very, very skeptical of what's going to happen with the stock market right now. There's a big feeling out there that there's this big disconnect between what's happening in the economy. We talk about this every week, but man, oh man, the economic data and the earnings data keeps coming in better than Wall Street's expected. I mean, Wall Street's been taken by surprise here for the last couple of months. Yeah. So everybody knows that tech's the big star right now. You're making a lot of money in it this year. But you know, investing is not about owning what's already gone up. It's about investing in the next big thing. So the dollar's been coming down. Chris, where do you see some opportunity? Well, you know, like one of the things that I see is with the weakening dollar, like bond U.S. stocks and seeing things like emerging markets international tend to be a little bit more attractive. And, you know, I always like to say that you get a better outcome with income. So in comparison to a lot of these large cap tech growth stocks where they don't pay really any dividends, there's a lot more attraction here because one, you're getting things like emerging markets at a much cheaper price and you're getting a good dividend yield. Yeah, that's exactly right, Chris. I mean, the one thing we look at for our clients, and I think what everyone should be thinking about their portfolio right now is income. And last time I looked, those growth stocks like Amazon, Facebook, Google, 
they don't pay a lot of dividends. And the other thing that I think has been a big headline here that no one's really talking about is Warren Buffett, who bought Apple four years ago, by the way, when it was cheap. He's not buying more Apple now. He went and bought all the natural gas assets from Dominion Energy. And on top of that, he added to his Bank of America position or Berkshire Hathaway did. You've got the smartest investor in the world right now diversifying his money into what we would call traditional value stocks that pay a lot of income. Kind of reminds me of back in like 1999, Bob, 2000, when tech stocks were hot and Warren Buffett was buying value stocks back then. Sounds like to me, guys, that Warren Buffett's taking his own advice. Be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. But make sure you're buying it cheap. So I think the message here is pretty clear. Ignore the noise and stay invested. This is the tipping point. This is where we pinpoint the pain point having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. And with a lot of the new clients come into our firm, guys, and we manage you know, over 2,000 relationships, helping families manage their wealth. One of the more common things that I've heard recently is just not getting the right advice from an advisor. And as you and I know, there's such a disparity between getting really good advice getting mediocre advice out there and getting no advice at all. And one of the comments or feedback that I heard recently was, hey, I was working with a firm as a one-person operation. The advisor had this really fancy title, certified financial analyst, was a very astute investor. However, you know, they never really gave me great financial advice, like financial planning advice. I would have loved to have had a certified financial planner in the mix as opposed to somebody who's just good with an investments. See, that's the problem with our industry, guys. You've got a lot of people who were not trained to do planning like we do, right? These are CFA, Certified Financial Analysts. They're basically trained to run portfolios, work for mutual funds. Well, mutual fund industry is bleeding assets right now. These people are losing their jobs. You've seen a lot of traders from Wall Street leaving, and anybody can call themselves a financial advisor. But Chris, all financial advisors aren't created equal, are they? No, definitely not. And you know, from day one, Dad, you always taught Ryan and I to create a financial plan for us before we even invest in a single dollar, just because it's always so much better to have people investing towards their goals rather than just trying to figure out what's going to go up the most. Exactly right. You know, like a CFA is kind of like an architect. When you're building a house, you have an architect draw up the plans. A lot of times these guys deal in the ideal, right? They build something, they draw something up that actually can't be built. And I've heard so many builders go, what is this guy drawing? You know, you can't make this angle. You can't put this up. So you need a builder to build a house. You need a planner to build your plan. No, that's exactly right. And I think that's the biggest problem with our industry, right? It's set to sell you stuff. And it's not that it's a bad thing, but the problem is it's not predicated on your goals. And it's like, yeah, if I don't tell you what my dream house should be, but you're going to build me something, I'm going to hope for the best. I don't know about you, Chris, but I don't think hope's a great strategy. Just saying. Yeah, absolutely right. And you know, like one of the things that I hear a lot from my clients, especially when they're just coming on board, is that, hey, Chris, I got a lot of capital gains. Like, I don't want to sell out my portfolio and, and pay all these capital gains. So, what are we going to do about that? And my answer is always like, hey, we'll talk with your accountant. We'll come up with a plan over the next couple of years to make sure that we do it in the most tax efficient way possible. And their response is always the same. They're like, hey, Chris, you know, my old advisor never even talked to my account, not even think they knew I had an accountant. So, this sounds great because one of the things that you always say, Ry, is that any money saved, taxes and fees, it's just as green as money made in the market. I mean, there's so many brilliant things I said, so I'm glad you brought that up again. But it also brings to another point, I digress, is everybody needs a financial dream team, right? The idea that you have this financial advisor who works in concert with your tax advisor and your legal advisor, like all these things should work together. And when you've got like a team of great professionals, that just stacks the cards in your benefit as opposed to having this disparate plan where you've got some advisor just selling you some products, 
And then every year you go to this accountant who's really a tax preparer, not a planner. And it's just disastrous, right? You just set yourself up for failure, but you're just hoping that everybody's taking the time to make sure they've got your back. And most cases, it's not their fault. It's just nothing's really put together in like a plan per se. You guys might find this surprising, but another comment we're getting from a lot of our newer clients is that they didn't feel like the firm they were working with or their advisor was working in their best interest, but felt like they just tried to sell them things so that they made a lot of money, not the client. I'm in shock right now. I can't believe someone that works at a big firm would be more interested in their commission than doing right by their client. I'm just shocked. You know, we actually had a client joke to us at our initial consultation that it's almost as if the advisor that I was working with said, well, he made money and his firm made money. The only person that didn't was the client. And the guy told him two out of three odds is pretty darn good no matter what business you're in. Yeah, that's why you really need to know what you're spending on your investments. You need to know what the inner workings of them are. But most importantly, you need to ask your advisor, how do you get paid? If it's from a commission basis, they're not on the same side of the field as you are, per se. Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, they immediately have a conflict of interest in the fact that they're not only not looking out for exactly what is suitable for you as the investor, but they actually have an interest in looking for those things that are going to benefit them the most and not you and your plan for your family. Hey, Chris, your brother and I, we started out at Merrill Lynch and you know, we were registered representatives of Merrill Lynch. But when push came to shove, we represented the firm. We didn't represent our client. When we formed paying capital management, we became fiduciaries. Now we have to put our client's interest first, right? What a novel idea. Put the client's interest first. So if you're not using a fiduciary, it's almost like going to court where both attorneys for each side are working against you and you allow it. So I think the key here is it's just so important to make sure you're working with somebody who has your back and understanding how they get compensated, understanding what their process is, is really critical. And we actually do complimentary financial reviews every week. If you qualify, if you have over $500,000, we'll do a full audit of all your investments. We'll go through everything you own. We'll literally build you a portal so you can see your net worth at a bird's eye view. We'll actually put together an income plan for you, figure out how you can draw from your portfolio, what you should be saving. We're going to look at fees, look at taxes. We'll do all those things for you. You simply need to go to paincm.com slash financial plan. Again, that link is paincm.com. That's P-A-Y-N-E-C-M.com slash financial plan. You can go up there if you have over $500,000. Apply now. See if you qualify for a full complimentary financial review. All right, now it's time for the hidden facts of finance. Every week, we're going to present you with random financial facts that may surprise you or even shock you. So check out this fact this week, guys. TikTok, which skyrocketed in popularity among young users over the last year, 70% of 10-year-old girls with smartphones in the US have been using the app since 2019. You know, I'm not really surprised by that, but you know, right? It's not really limited to 10 year old girls. Like, even my friends, and by the way, I'm pushing 40, send me TikTok videos all the time. So it's no surprise that Microsoft wants to buy them. I think our listeners are more shocked that this is what you're doing with your spare time, but we'll move on to the next one. The Seattle e commerce pioneer, Amazon, now employs more than a million workers, the second largest in the US. Man, Amazon is like taking over the world here, guys. Well, you know, based on the amount of boxes I find outside my door, your mother is responsible for employing at least 900,000 of those people. (laughs) Way to go, mom. At the end of 2019, assets managed by so-called robo-advisors reached an estimated $631 billion, up from $558 billion a year ago. The robots are taking over, guys. You know, right. All I can say about that is I'm pretty sure that the robots weren't calling their clients when the market was down 35% on March 23rd. 
I don't know, Chris. I'm on the fence. Do I want you to manage my money or a robot? I got to sleep on that one. You're probably right, Rob. Robots are definitely more charming. <laughs> well, you said it, not me. Chinese travelers were the largest, biggest tourists with 150 million traveling abroad in 2018. That's like half the US population. They were also big shoppers in fashion capitals such as Paris, Milan, and London, representing 13% of all global luxury sales last year. Man, if China's buying, the world's moving, guys. Well, you know, nobody wants to do business with the Chinese any longer, except for every company in the world. (laughs) I was in France last summer, and we went on one of these wine tours in Bordeaux, and it was literally all Chinese people wearing the highest designer outfits you could possibly imagine. It was incredible. The clothes they were wearing were probably worth a couple grand a piece. All right, this is kind of a disturbing statistic, but investor demand for new issues was met with the largest monthly high-yield bond issuance ever of $47 billion in June. Now, that tops the record in 2013 of $46 billion, which just means people are eating up high-yield or what we call junk bonds, like it's going out of style. And what's scary about that is during a recession. And as we know, during a recession, junk bonds are not the investment to own. Yeah, I think the key phrase there, right? it's junk. Junk, junk, junk. I don't know anybody that would pay a lot of money for junk, except this seems to be the case here. About $47 billion of investors' money. It's pretty crazy. Apple just announced a three-for-one stock split. Had Apple taken the Berkshire Hathaway approach, Warren Buffett's company, and never done a stock split, the stock would now be closer to $24,000 a share, which would be pretty pricey to buy. You know, I have a hard time with Apple. When they fired Steve Jobs, the originator of Apple, you know, way back, the stock was trading at eight bucks. How smart was Apple to get rid of Steve Jobs? I guess they were smart enough at least to hire him back. <laughs> And our last fascinating fact is small businesses, just like us, are responsible for half of all U.S. employment, half of total GDP, and 40% of all total business revenue in the U.S. We always think about big companies, but it's really small companies like us that do all the work. You know, Ryan, I don't know how about you guys, and we all have bad backs, but I'll tell you what, my shoulders are starting to hurt by carrying the weight of this economy. <laughs> Last time I looked, Bob, Chris is the only one who took a vacation this summer, so I'm a little confused with that statement. Your grandfather never took lunch, and now Chris takes vacations. I don't know. He must be the milkman's son. <laughs> As the statement goes, work smarter, not harder, boys. If we could all be Chris. Well, great show, gentlemen, today. And for those listeners out there, we're going to be doing this weekly. And if you have comments, disagree with what we said today, agree. We'd love to hear feedback from you. You can put it in the feedback space wherever you're hearing this podcast. Subscribe, give us a like if you like the content, hook us up and anything you want us to talk about financial related, we're happy to do it. Just give us your feedback and we'll try to implement it into our later shows. That's it for today's podcast. As always, be bullish. Thanks for listening to The Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully, you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. You can find out more about Bob, Ryan, and Chris's firm, Payne Capital Management, at BeBullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Payne Capital Management. Information provided on today's show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed.